to open a Bible and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2. We'll begin uh, this part of our worship in that place. 2 Timothy 2. You'll need a Bible this morning. We're going to be moving between 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus uh, for what we're going to do in this time. Uh, very interesting. I already feel like I've been built up this morning because even though Jim Shiflett is not here, he found a way to insult my university from afar uh, through, through Susan. Oh, he's teaching in the back. Okay. Well, even though he's not here in person, he's, he's managed to insult my school. So I'm edified. How about you? No, I'm just kidding. Love, Jim. Uh, it's good to be with you. Appreciate Terry and leading those songs, especially the focus on unity. You'll see where we're going with that uh, shortly. I also want to say uh, normally on the first Sunday, Zach is up here in this time, and I'm up here in the next time. Instead, we flipped it uh, because, I mean, Zach's doing so great. Uh, he's getting ready to go. I thought, you know what, Zach, you're ready for the big time. We'll let you have the main worship service. So uh, I'm up here. I guess this is the little time. Uh, I'm up here at this time. So I uh, just wanted to give him that opportunity. Uh, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 14. 2 Timothy 2, 14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. This passage shows us that not all religious discussion is created equal. So as disciples of Jesus, we know that there are some things that we have to stand with Jesus on. There's no compromise. We can't say it's okay to go two different ways. It's got to be what Jesus says and nothing else. And if we have to argue with people about it, then so be it. We have to argue. That's just the way that goes. But there are some matters that, as Paul says, they are just quarrels about words or they are irreverent babble. The topic, please hear me, the topic may be religious, but the discussion is pointless. It's not good. It's not profitable. It needs to be avoided. And the question that I want to tackle this morning is, how do we tell the difference between those two things? How do we know when something is worth going to war over and when something is not that important? Something is irreverent babble that needs to be avoided. By my count, Paul mentions this kind of discussion at least nine separate times in the letters to Timothy and Titus, which means it's a big deal, and it's important enough for him to emphasize over and over again to these young preachers. And the reason he emphasizes it so much is because, for one, he wants them to avoid it. Look in verse 16. He says, avoid irreverent babble, but he also wants the people that these men are teaching to be taught to avoid it. In verse 14, he says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words. So both of those approaches are important. So I just want to take some time this morning and lead us in a study of these passages. And what we're going to call this is how to recognize a foolish dispute. How do we know when an argument or a discussion is pointless and needs to be avoided? And so I'm going to give us four questions that we can ask. And if we can answer these, we can discover which way we need to go on this and develop some discernment about the things that we argue about. First of all, 
we need to ask the question, is it really that important? So what we're going to talk about for a few minutes is the topic of the dispute and whether the topic is worthy of this energy and maybe this antagonism that's going to be produced. So look in verse 14 again with me, 2 Timothy 2.14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. So quarrel about words. You have to understand the climate of the ancient world was one in which philosophers would make their money by making arguments and going from town to town, developing a following, and arguing about words. They would argue about questions of philosophy, but not really ever questions that bridged over into practical living. It was very much an abstract game that they played, and they wanted to show how well they could argue. So, for example, what is the meaning of love? Okay, well, you tell me what you think. I'll tell, no, no, I've got the best definition of love. And when we get to the end of it, what have we done? We've argued about a word. That's all. So what's the point of that is the question, and is it worth the argument? But you also have, and you'll see this in Titus's passages, especially in a minute, what you also have is the idea of the Jewish background, where Jews would argue about words because they want to be faithful to the word of God. So they're looking in the Bible, and they see a word, and they say, well, what does that word mean? What could that imply about what God's trying to communicate to us through that word. And so very easily you can see how they could get wrapped up in the meaning of words and begin to fight about words. Here's the point. We can get so wrapped up in the words that we miss the meaning. And he says that's not worth fighting about. Turn with me over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy 1. We're just going to flip to several of these. In each of the points, you'll get familiar with these passages as we go along. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 3. As I urged you, 1 Timothy 1, 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So, he says, you need to be teaching the people to focus on the teachings of Jesus and not to be derailed. And he says several things in verse 4. He talks about myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation. Especially, notice the word endless there. Have you ever been in a discussion that felt endless? Like, the more you talked about it, the further you got, the, the further away from a conclusion you got, the deeper the rabbit hole went. And that can be a religious discussion where it feels like even though we're talking and talking, and so it feels good to actually be talking about spiritual things, yet at the end of the day, you haven't gotten any further you speculate, and then you argue about the speculations. You philosophize, and you muse, and you wonder together, and then you argue about what you've said and what you've decided. But at the end of the day, all you've done is just open up a can of worms, and there's no real result. So the question is, is it really that important? He talks about in verse 6 the idea of vain discussion, that not all religious discussion is created equal. Some discussion is vain, it's empty, it's pointless. And those are things that we need to avoid. Turn over to 1 Timothy 4 and verse 6. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, 1 Timothy 4, 6, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do, verse 7, with irreverent, silly myths. 
Now, if you're reading a different version, yours might have something like fables that are fit for old women or old wives' fables. You know, we still have that phrase, don't we? An old wives' tale. Okay, here the idea is if you say something is just an old wives' tale, what you're saying is it's not worth your time, it's not true, it's not legitimate, so don't bother with it. It's not worth listening to. In the same way, Paul is taking those words and saying there are some things you need to avoid because they're not worth your time. They may be spiritual, they may have something to do with life, but they're not worth fussing about. Turn over to Titus chapter 1 with me. Titus 1. Titus 1 and verse 10 says, Titus 1.10, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. So these problems you can see circle around Judaism. And he particularly says in verse 14 there, he's concerned about people devoting themselves to Jewish myths, the commands of people who turn away from the truth. So there are some things that may be spiritual, but they're not worth delving into. They're just Jewish myths, and maybe they come from sources that are not what we should be thinking about and listening to. All right, so you got all of those passages together. You see what Paul is doing. He is saying, you're going to be drawn to something because it's spiritual. You're going to be drawn to it because it has to do with God. And you need to be careful because not everything that has to do with God is worth your time. Not everything that is a discussion that is religious is the same. So use discernment. Make sure your spiritual interest is directed properly. And I think we need to think about this way. That when we take up a dispute or an argument, when we're willing to do something like talk to somebody about a spiritual matter. That's going to take a great deal of our energy. It's going to sacrifice something of that relationship because there's a danger there, isn't there, that if we're going to get into an argument, it might hurt the relationship. It's going to take our time. It's going to take some of our focus. In fact, if you've had much religious discussion, you know that the next time you pick up your Bible, that's kind of in the back of your mind. You're kind of thinking about, you read a passage, you say, oh yeah, so-and-so said that. Or next time I see them, I'm going to use that against them. Okay? So all of that energy and focus and relationship sacrifice, you have to ask the question, is it really that important? Is it really worth all of this? And Paul is saying some things are not, and there needs to be discernment. As a subset of that, I might just add, not everything we think and not everything we're interested in is worth fighting about. Not everything about politics, not everything about sports, not everything about raising children is worth fighting about. You may think it, I may think it, we may have our opinions, but if those are the things that we're going to draw the line over, then where is the emphasis on spiritual things that we draw the line over? In fact, it seems to me, it's just my observation and opinion, we don't have to fight about it, just my observation and opinion, that very often I see Christians arguing with much more intensity about their political views than they do about their spiritual views. That concerns me. It's precisely backward. And Paul is teaching us, 
Use discernment about what you're going to argue about. So let me make some applications of some examples of what I think some things that are not worth arguing about would be. And I say this having witnessed some arguments about some of these things. We can argue all day long about what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. Who wrote Hebrews? How is it that Jesus can be a man and God at the same time? Does that ever get us anywhere, by the way? Who was Cain's wife? Where'd she come from? Why does Jesus say phileo and Peter says agape, or the other way around? Peter says phileo and Jesus says agape. Why? What's going on with that? Well, you have your opinion, I have mine. And on and on we go. Sometimes the problem is that we don't have enough information. We just have what we have, and we argue about what we do have. Sometimes it's because there are things that we can't understand. How is Jesus God and man at the same time? We don't know. We can't make that work because we're not any God. We're all man. So we end up arguing, and the question is, is it really that important? Is it worth arguing about? Not all religious discussion is created equal. Paul is teaching us discernment here. Second question. Is there really a benefit? Where does this go? What's the point? And are we going to go anywhere if we do open up this discussion? Look over at Titus chapter 3. You're in Titus 1. Just across the page here. Titus 3 and verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. You think Paul had a strong view of this? Okay. It's not worth your time, things to be avoided. They're unprofitable and worthless means they don't do any good. So he mentions in verse 9 there, genealogies. So let's just say we work it all out and we finally come to complete agreement about a genealogy. And the question is, well, what good does that do? What have we done if all we've done is iron out a genealogy? See, there's no profit to that. We have to ask the question, are we better people for having had this discussion? Are we more unified than we were before? Has sin been corrected? Has Jesus' character been pursued? Have lives been changed? What has happened as a result of this argument? Is there a benefit? And we have to be able to ask ourselves before we get into the argument, what am I trying to accomplish and is it a noble goal? Turn with me back to 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 14 where we started. 2 Timothy 2.14 says... Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Did you know that there are arguments you can get into that will ruin the people you argue with? Or maybe you? They're not worth your time. They don't produce good things. Drop down to verse 23. 2 Timothy 2.23 Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Where does it lead? It leads to people who just want to fight. And I think we really need to be open about this and honest about this. That we tend to focus more on the things that we disagree with others about than the things that we agree with others about. Have you had that experience? Where you have one thing, out of all the things you agree on, you have one thing you disagree on, And suddenly that thing becomes the defining mark of the relationship. I've had that happen with preachers 
where there's a preacher. And, and so I have my opinion about a certain passage or a topic, and I hear that preacher talk about it, and he is dead wrong, as I see it. And from then on, I really can't hear anything else they say. I won't listen to them on the, on the Internet. I, I, meh. I'm more defined by that one disagreement than all the agreement. Have you ever had that happen with your spouse? You have a disagreement and you just cannot see anything but the thing you disagree about in that moment. So if we're going to open ourselves up to hostilities about disagreements, we have to own the fact that that's going to produce quarrels. That's what he's saying. Be careful about that. Turn back a page to 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6. First Timothy 6 and verse 3, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth imagining that godliness is a means of great gain. I want you to focus in on verse 4 there. It says that these arguments produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction. When we get focused on the wrong things, it leads to division. That's where it goes. Because you're not going to agree with me, and I'm going to say, well, see you later. Either I'm going to say, you get out of here, or I'm getting out of here, but we're not going to be together. And the question again is, is it really that important, and is there really anything good that comes from this? If it causes all of these problems, if it makes us jealous of each other and builds resentment and makes us suspicious and undermines our unity. So, this is hard because we live in a society where open discussion is highly valued. That we need to be able to discuss anything. No topic, no subject, no thing should be off limits to us. And, and in general, I agree with that. This is not about rights, though. Paul is not saying you don't have the right to discuss something with someone. This is about wisdom. This is about discernment. We need to know, is this going to be a profitable discussion? I want to give you a couple of examples of this. So... I've done some traveling and preaching in Latin America, and I've been to several churches in Mexico and Guatemala where the men and women in the assembly, if you go into the church building, the men and women sit on opposite sides of the building. Now, I don't believe that's necessary, but they do. So, I have opinions about that for sure, but what they're doing is not wrong. They're not sinning in some way. So what, what are we going to do about that? Do I need to go in and swagger up to that pulpit and say, let me straighten you guys out? Do I need to forcibly integrate the men and the women? What's the, what's the good that's going to come from that? That's the question. I could open up that discussion. I could start the argument. And I feel like I could win. But is there a benefit? If they're serving the Lord the way they are doing it, then why are we going to cause trouble and dissension, maybe sacrifice that relationship when there's no good that's going to come? I also spent some time in, in uh, Venezuela. I've mentioned this before, uh, and it's been confirmed to me by Juliana. Uh, I spent some time in Venezuela, and in Venezuela, among the brethren, 
when I was there, the, the hot button issue was, was Hugo Chavez and how they felt about Chavez and his leadership. And the brother that w went around with me told me, we don't talk about Chavez. Well, well why not? Well, opinions are so high, the, the, the blood is so hot about Chavez that it's going to cause division. And what's the good? We're, we'll end up fighting about it and dividing about it when it doesn't really matter. That's not the essence of who we are. So the question has to be not, do we have the right to discuss whatever we want? That's not the issue. The issue is, is it wise? Is there a benefit? What good are we going to do? So we need to ask ourselves the question. How do people normally act when we have discussions like these? What good am I going to do? What sin am I correcting by doing this? What goal do I have of us being unified and drawing closer to God's vision of what we should be? What, where are we going with this? Instead of it being, are they wrong and I'm right, and I want to correct them and show them how right I am. Third question we should ask, what attitudes will this produce? We're here in 1 Timothy 6. Look again at verse 4. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 4, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of great gain. So he is describing a dangerous kind of Christian teacher. He is a Christian teacher who just wants to fight. He believes that the essence of preaching the gospel is fighting. That if we're not fighting, we're not preaching. We're not standing up for the truth. We're not fighting the good fight of faith. So there always has to be a controversy. If there's not a controversy, I'm not doing my job. And it becomes a craving for controversy. I believe that describes a great many people. I believe that very often we have challenged, we have changed the challenge of the gospel that says fight the good fight, contend for the faith, and made it into fight people. And if you're not fighting people, you're not doing your job. So now I get to berate and confront and challenge. I don't even have to know the person I'm criticizing. I just let them have it. And Paul says... That's linked to quarreling about words. Look again at verse 4. He says, He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. In other words, this attitude of really just wanting to battle all the time, what it comes from is from constantly arguing about things that don't matter. When you argue about things that don't matter, then everything becomes an argument. So then there's no discernment between the things that do matter and the things that don't matter. It's all the same. It's all people are wrong and I need to correct them. And there becomes a craving for controversy in me. It creates that spirit that only wants to fight. If we don't learn to discern, learn to discern. If we don't learn to discern between what's really key and important and what is unimportant, then we'll just end up fighting about everything. That's the point. So we have to ask the question, if I start arguing about this, what am I going to argue about next? Where does this lead for me in terms of my attitude? Turn the page to 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2 and verse, 3, um, verse 23, sorry. 2 Timothy 2, 23. 
have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So did you notice that he says... Watch out for these quarrels. And then verse 24, that the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. We know what quarrelsome means. That means we're we're drawn toward quarrels. We produce them. We're attracted to them. And he says, that's not the way I want my people to be. He's talking to Timothy specifically as a preacher. I understand that. But I don't believe that everybody else can be quarrelsome as long as they're not preachers. I think he is saying this is the attribute you need to model for all Christians that you be patient, that you be gentle, that you be humble, and that does not come from just arguing all the time, from being a quarrelsome person. So we have to think about when we start arguing with everybody, what does that make us? Foolish, ignorant controversies breed quarrels, and they make quarrelsome people. People are always fighting whether it's important or not. But God's Word produces kind, humble patient people. So we have to ask the question, which well are we drinking from? And if we're arguing about the foolish things, then who's focusing on the Word of God? Go with me to Titus chapter 3. There is also this connection in Titus 3 between foolish controversies and an attitude that they can produce. Titus 3 and verse 9, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Titus 3.10, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Wonder why he started talking about divisiveness right after talking about foolish controversies? Maybe it's because... When we pursue foolish controversies over and over again, we become divisive. We drive people away from us. We make separations where God does not. And so Paul warns Titus, there is a spirit this produces that is a divisive spirit, and this is where it begins. There are some people who, wherever they go, cause problems. They cause problems in their families. They cause problems in the churches they they worship in. They cause problems in the jobs they have. Everywhere they go, they cause problems. They are divisive people. They attack and they challenge. They bring up troublesome topics. They try to advance their opinions about those things. Or they work behind the scenes to stir up discontent, whether that's in an office or in a family or in a church. Things get personal Sometimes in churches, doctrine becomes a smokescreen for things getting personal. But one way or another, they are divisive people. And Paul links that divisiveness to not having the discernment. There is an attitude that that can produce. So, my question is, doesn't the attitude that a teaching or a focus produces, doesn't that attitude say something about that teaching or focus? If it leads us to be divisive, quarrelsome, controversy-craving people, isn't it kind of a problem? Isn't that something we should think about before we engage in it? So, if my thoughts and my conversations are always on only the latest controversy, 
the latest division, the latest critique, if I am only majoring in the minors, if we can only ever focus on how we're different or distinct, where does that take us? Where will that path lead us? That's the question. But if I learn that the things that we are fighting over are the essentials of the gospel, what Jesus has done for me, what Jesus expects from me, suddenly that path will lead to good things. Maybe we can come to a reconciliation. Maybe we can understand one another. Maybe sin needs to be challenged and with, uh, forsaken. But whatever it is, we need to ask the question, what attitudes is this going to lead to? And the last question I want to ask is, is this really about me? I think you could kind of see this in some of what I've already said in the last point. But I really want to drive it home. Very often, religious discussion is not about religion. Does that make sense? Very often, religious discussion is about me. How I want to be right and show the you that you're wrong. And so I want to drive that home for you. 1 Timothy chapter 1 is where I want to go. 1 Timothy 1. And I want to read verse 7. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 7. Well, let's start in verse 6. 1 Timothy 1, 6. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So sometimes I can argue, but the argument is really about my desire to be a teacher. I want to be the one who's in charge. He says they desire to be teachers of the law. That's the focus. I want to have some power over you, and I want to show, be shown to be better. I was teaching in a county jail several years back, and I was teaching a Bible class. We probably had 10 guys in there, and there was this one guy who was determined to show that he knew more than me. And so he, he raised his hand at one point after we'd read a passage, and he said, have you considered the soteriological implications of this verse? And I said, no. I'm not going to argue with the guy because he's not interested in the, I'm not even sure either of us knew what he was talking about. He just wanted to be the teacher and he wanted to show me that I, I didn't know as much as him. And that's fine. We can talk about all those things, but at some point somebody needs to be the teacher. And if it's just about somebody having power over somebody else, then the discussion isn't going anywhere, is it? See, that's a discussion. You can start a lot of discussions that way. And it'll be religious, but it's not really about God. It's just about me. It's about my motives. Turn over to 2 Timothy 2. Sometimes our discussions are just about me scoring points, or me showing my brilliance, or me getting my point across, or me having somebody else agree with me. It's all about me. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. I want you to notice the contrast here. Quarreling about words is contrasted to what? In verse 15. Do your best to present yourself as one approved, a workman who needs not be ashamed. Paul is saying, Timothy, don't let your discussions be about your laziness. Sometimes 
Our arguments happen because we are not digging into the word like we should. That's just the bottom line of it. We're led astray because it's easier to think about stuff than to listen and study and learn. I have noticed this in Bible classes, and I have been guilty. It's hard work to prepare a lesson and to study a text and to come in and be able to explain this is what God is saying in this text. That's hard work. It's a lot easier to say, hey, guys, what do you think about this? What do you think about love? Oh, we've all got our opinions, you know. And then we can kind of fuss about our opinions and get into all that discussion. But really what's happened there is I've been lazy. And in our laziness, we avoid the important things and we jump on the things that don't matter. And sometimes we'll even get into arguments about the things that don't matter. It's not really about God. It's about me. And Paul warns Timothy, don't let that happen. You focus on what your job is. I'm not done. Okay. Well, let me just add this, and, and uh, I, I've got a couple more things to say, and then I'll be done. So I'll just add this. Very often, I want to be right, especially if I've said something to you publicly or I've said something to you in an emphatic way. I'm not going to back off. I'm not going to change my mind. And if we discuss it, then very often that discussion is just about me covering myself. I want to show you how right I am, not about us pursuing truth together. And so that discussion becomes vain. So the whole point of this lesson is that you and I need discernment in our spiritual energy. Not all religious discussion is created equal. So put your focus on God's word and the things God has revealed. And then when there are times when other things come up, be prepared to say, that's not worth my time and energy. But as you do so, be patient and gentle and humble toward others. And allow other people the freedom to disagree when matters just aren't that important. Thanks so much for your attention. We'll be dismissed for our classes.